Father, please come and be with us. Well, we declare that you are already with us. Holy Spirit, come and teach us, come and guide us. We want to declare the words of our King Jesus, and we want to hear directly from you, Lord. Speak into our hearts, Lord. Take away all tiredness. Refresh us, O Lord. We pray for ourselves here. We pray for those who are listening in also. That, Lord, let your word have its due impact and effect and purpose in us, Lord. And may your name be glorified even as we declare your words. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen. A little boy was rather apprehensive when he felt that he had to go to the dentist. His tooth was shaky. And so when he was seated on the dentist's chair, he looked up at the doctor and he said, Do you swear to pull out the tooth, the whole tooth, and nothing but this tooth? Well, if you have watched enough courtroom scenes, you will be familiar with this phrase, right? Do you swear to tell the truth, the whole truth, and nothing but the truth? And some people add that line in, so help you God. And depending on your religion, you can put your hand on the Bible, or they may ask you to swear on the Quran or any religious text. And you are supposed to be swearing by the God that you believe in. And later, if the witness is found to have lied under oath, he can be charged with the crime of perjury. And perjury really is that you would have sworn falsely. Now today, we may not use such language in our daily lives, but let's ask ourselves this question. Have we made promises that we have not kept? Have we been disappointed by others who have said they would do something, but they did not? I think it's quite safe to assume we don't have to put up our hands. But I think we've all made that promise and we've broken it, right? Or we have experienced someone who have broken promises with us. Well, this is not a new problem. I think this problem has been happening for ages. And so from today's passage, we'll learn a little bit more about oaths and about promises and how that first featured in the life of Israel. We'll go through and we'll hear what the king has to say about keeping promises, about honoring our word, about telling the truth. And I hope that through that we can learn how it applies to all of us as Christians today, as people of the kingdom. As we go through this, let's remember again the context of the Sermon on the Mount. And we are moving from the different illustrations of Jesus saying, You have heard but I say to you. So he's always, he's been giving corrections, right? He's been bringing a clarity into the way we interpret the law. So this week we are at Matthew chapter 5, verses 33 to 37. Let's read the text and see what it says to us. Again, you have heard that it was said to those of old, You shall not swear falsely, but shall perform your oaths to the Lord. But I say to you, do not swear at all, neither by heaven, for it is God's throne, nor by the earth, for it is His footstool, nor by Jerusalem, for it is the city of the great king. Nor shall you swear by your head, because you cannot make one hair white or black. But let your yes be yes, and your no, no. For whatever is more than these is from the evil one. Let's go back into the context or at least understand in the Old Testament what this phrase is all about. 
You know, Jesus never pulls things out of the air. Whenever he teaches, there would have been an Old Testament context. And the Pharisees would have understood this well, and they would have taught it, and through tradition, they would give their understanding and their interpretation, at least in their point of view. And that's why Jesus says, You have heard that it was said of those of old, You shall not swear falsely, but shall perform your oaths to the Lord. This phrase that Jesus used can be traced to two Old Testament references. The first phrase, you shall not swear falsely. We can trace it to Leviticus chapter 19, verse 12. And that reads, you shall not swear by my name falsely, nor shall you profane the name of your God. I am the Lord. The second part of that phrase about performing your oaths to the Lord can be found in Numbers chapter 30, verse 2. If a man makes a vow to the Lord and swears an oath to bind himself by some agreement, he shall not break his word. He shall do according to all that proceeds out of his mouth. So Jesus was really summarizing or putting together two Old Testament verses or commands together. And the Pharisees would have taught it from these references. But if you want to know the basis, you will find that it is rooted in the third commandment. The third commandment can be found in Exodus 20 verse 7 or in Deuteronomy chapter 5 verse 11. You shall not take the name of the Lord your God in vain, for the Lord will not hold him guiltless who takes his name in vain. And sometimes when we look at this one commandment, we tend to think, oh, we, we cannot use God's name uh, literally. You know, we cannot mention this name because if we do that lightly, then we are actually taking it in vain. But once we understand this context, then we see that His name was used in the taking of oaths. That when you swear an oath or make an oath, you are really wanting to do it against the name of God. So let's understand this a little bit more. We have to define for ourselves then what is an oath. An oath simply is a solemn vow, a binding agreement that what you say, what is promised, will be kept. And you don't just make this oath by yourself. For it to be solemn, for it to be serious, for it to be binding, they would often appeal to a higher authority, usually the gods. And they will call upon the gods or the name of the gods as witness or as a guarantor. And so when you want to make an oath or a vow, you will name your God. You will swear by your God. Let me give you an example of Jacob and Laban in Genesis chapter 31, verse 53 where it says, The God of Abraham, the God of Nahor, and the God of our father judge between us. And then Jacob swore by the fear of his father Isaac. You see, so they appeal to your God or their God. But later on, Israel, as time went by, when they began to worship idols and worship Baal, very interestingly, they began to call on the name of Baal as their witness and no longer Yahweh. It is also interesting to know that in the Hebrew, two words are used 
Uh, one word means oath, another word means curse. And both of these words are often mentioned together, an oath and a curse. And this seems to suggest that if you do not perform that oath, then it brings upon yourself a curse. There's a consequence. Now this is how serious an oath is. This is how solemn it is. What does it mean to swear falsely then? How do you swear falsely? Because when you take an oath and you are swearing, you are saying it will be truthful. This is what will be done. My word will be kept. How do you then swear this truth falsely? It's funny, right? You know, how do you tell the truth falsely? It sounds like a contradiction in terms. To swear falsely simply means that you have no intention whatsoever to keep that promise. You don't really want to perform this oath. But you just swear by God or you swear this oath that you will tell the truth but you don't really intend to tell the truth or that you will do something but you don't really want to do it at all. That is what it means to swear falsely. And because an oath is to be taken in the name of God, you swear by God's name. As such, to swear falsely would also mean that you will use the name of God loosely or very lightly. So once we understand this, then we begin to see, ah, we begin to violate or we violate the third commandment. We're using the name of God in vain. We were using His name to sort of make the oath sound very solemn, but we're just using it for fun. We're treating His name as if it doesn't mean anything. Now, if you look at Deuteronomy chapter 6, verse 13, the law actually encouraged the taking of oaths. Deuteronomy 6, 13 says, You shall fear the Lord your God and serve Him, and you shall take oaths in His name. It's part of the law. It's in the commandment. So to take an oath is not a wrong thing, is not a bad thing. But we know that if you take an oath, keep it. That's how serious it is. But we also see that there are consequences if an oath is not performed or if a vow is not lived up to, if your word is not kept. There are consequences. So the law also takes care of that. That if you think you can't keep an oath, then it's better not to make an oath. So on one hand, the law encourages it. Take an oath, swear by God's name, that's fine, and then keep it. But if you feel you are not able to do that, then don't make one at all, and that's fine because it will not be considered a sin at all. We see that in Deuteronomy chapter 23, verses 21 to 23. When you make a vow to the Lord your God, you shall not delay to pay it, for the Lord your God will surely require it of you, and it would be sin to you. That's a consequence. But verse 22, But if you abstain from vowing, it shall not be sin to you. So it's okay. Make an oath, that's good, but keep it. If you feel you shouldn't do that, then don't make an oath. It's fine also. God will not hold it against you. But here comes the interesting observation. An oath sounds better than no oath. And so the people felt that if I make an oath, it sounds more serious. 
It sounds as if I'm more uh, credible if I make that oath, right? That it gives more weight to my speech because I am prepared to take this oath. So they found a way to sort of find a loophole in the commandments. And if you have been going through the Sermon on the Mount, we find that men, is, men are we're quite ingenious, right? If you want to find a loophole, you, you will always find one. So the ingenuity of men, or the sneakiness of men, if you want to look at it, they began to develop a system involving different levels of oath. Now, this is how they did it. Now, if an oath is to be done according or by the name of God, then they say, okay, fine, if I, if I swear by God's name, we all know that's binding. It's really binding. But what if I don't want it to be that binding? Then I come one step lower. Nah. Then I'll swear by heaven. You understand? Uh, not exactly God, but let's swear by heaven. Now, if that's still a little bit too binding, sounds too serious, then I'll swear by earth. Lower down now. Now, if earth is still too big for you, then Jerusalem, city. Then they started to put in their items in there and suddenly, before you know it, they swear by their head. Okay? And don't laugh because I think we, we also have our own variations, right, in Singapore. Sumpah la, cross my heart, hope to die la. You know, some people will be very serious. I swear by my mother's grave la. You know, they say this kind of thing. And you can swear by your dog, you can swear by your cat. As long as you swear against something, you have made an oath, it sounds serious. You see that? But what they did was, they gave it different levels of, of its binding or its seriousness. If it's by God, it is the most binding. And the lower or the further away you move from God, the less binding it was. And so over time, it became so ridiculous that even the words mattered. That if you swear by Jerusalem, it is not binding. But if you swear towards Jerusalem, then it's binding. Can you see how crazy it, it became? But this is, like I said, the, the sneakiness of men, you see. You know, if you want to have a loophole, you will always find it. There's always a way to get around the system. So over time, it became a very silly system of rules and of categories uh, where you could be bound by an oath that was not binding. And it became a system of casual and frivolous oaths. Anything also you can swear. So that you'll be taken as if you are serious. It sounded a lot more impressive, but actually it meant nothing at all. Now they were very clever because they were trying not to break the law. So if I can swear by something that is not binding, I can then swear truthfully and not swear falsely. You see that? To the best of their understanding, they are actually not breaking the law. They are keeping within the entire system. That became the tradition. And I think this context is important for us because sometimes you know, we can read this one passage and not understand why heaven, why earth, why Jerusalem, and even why your head. So Jesus comes and He says in verse 34, But I say to you, do not swear at all, neither by heaven, for it is God's throne, nor by earth, for it is its footstool, nor by Jerusalem, for it is the city of the great king, nor shall you swear by your head, because you cannot make one hair white or black. Now simply put, 
what Jesus was saying is, stop this swearing nonsense. You're, you're making a mockery out of God's law, you know, and you're trying to cheat God thinking you're actually telling the truth and being really serious and sounding so pious and so spiritual in the way that you talk, but actually it means nothing at all. As always, Jesus was exposing the intents of the heart. It's the same exact issue. It was a problem of hypocrisy. So that you can say all these things, sound really good, look really impressive, and and mean nothing at all. And Jesus was saying, please, stop this nonsense. Now, we read this in chapter 5. But you know later, in Matthew chapter 23, the woe to you, you hypocrites, you clown, you... Okay, Jesus didn't say clown. Chapter 23, verse 16 to 22. This is what Jesus says. Exactly the same things, but in different words. Woe to you, blind guides, who say, whoever swears by the temple, now there's another category here, it is nothing, but whoever swears by the goal of the temple, he is obliged to perform it. So now the goal of the temple becomes more binding than the temple. Fools and blind. For which is greater, the gold or the temple that sanctifies the gold? And whoever swears by the altar, it is nothing. But whoever swears by the gift that is on it, he is obliged to perform it. Fools and blind, for which is greater, the gift or the altar that sanctifies the gift? Therefore, he who swears by the altar, swears by it, and by all things on it. He who swears by the temple, swears by it, and by him who dwells in it. And he who swears by heaven, swears by the throne of God and by him who sits on it. We see that they have categories, they have different items, but Jesus was making this one point very clearly. He says, look, if you want to swear by heaven, do you realize that heaven is God's throne? Sorry, babe. If you want to look at heaven, God is involved. Now, if you want to swear by earth, then this is God's footstool. I'm sorry, God is still involved. If I swear by Jerusalem, hello, this is the city of the great king. So guess what? God is still involved. He said, okay, I tell you what, then my head. Say, wait, look, you, you can't even control anything that's on your head, whether it's black or is it white. And dying of the hair is not allowed. Right? But no matter what, you can't control anything. You are God's creation. He is sovereign over all things. He owns everything. So if you want to swear by this thing and that thing, God is involved at every level. He is implicated and He's involved. God is everywhere. So stop trying to run away from God, thinking just because you don't use this one word called God or God's name that you have not broken His commandment. I can just imagine the people listening to this. It's like, oh dear, got caught. Got found out. You know, this is the loophole. We're hoping that no one would have noticed this. Now, you know your Bible in Isaiah chapter 66, verse 1. That's what Jesus was quoting, right? Heaven is my throne and the earth is my footstool. He was using scripture. He says, don't you know this? You guys know your Bible. You know your scripture. 
You want to talk about Jerusalem? That's quoting from Psalm 48, verses 1 and 2. In verse 2, it says, Beautiful in elevation, the joy of the whole earth is Mount Zion. Another name for Jerusalem. On the sides of the north, the city of the great king. So you're going to swear by Jerusalem? This is God's city. How about the head and the hair? Later on, Jesus would say, right, in Matthew chapter 10, verse 30, the very hairs of your head, all numbered. And I suppose we can infer that He knows what color they are also. Okay, so today you can have blue hair and brunette hair and blonde hair. Makes no difference. God is in control. See, friends, the message that Jesus is saying is the King is involved. He is implicated at every level. And today, for us, we are kingdom people. Amen? We are kingdom subjects. But we must remember something. We are not just kingdom subjects. We are also kingdom ambassadors. Kingdom ambassadors. Meaning to say, every word that we declare as ambassadors of the kingdom, we represent the king and his kingdom. And you and I know that no ambassador will speak callously or speak flippantly or make promises that they cannot keep. Every ambassador will understand that. They, you represent the king. Wherever you go, we are people of the kingdom and we are his representatives. We're not to be like the stereotypes of what we make jokes of politicians, right? You know, if you're going to say, can we trust a politician? It's like, oh man, that's going to be tough. Especially today, all over the newspaper, you notice politicians are making promises and they're making promises and they're making promises and a few weeks later, they can change their tune, they can change their song and they change their sides even. You don't know what you can trust anymore. And as long as they win your vote, they'll be very, very happy and once they get your vote, you don't know whether you're going to have a, an upgrade in your precinct or not. Do they keep their promises? We don't really know. So how are we supposed to respond? And Jesus goes on in verse 37. He says, stop this swearing nonsense. Don't swear by heaven, by earth, and any other item. But let your yes be yes. And let your no, no. Whatever is more than these is from the evil one. And this is where we get our title. Let your yea be yea. Let your nay be nay. And that's all English, I know. But I thought it sounded quite nice. We can say, say, yea, yea, nay, nay. And it rhymes, Tamu. But if you look at the way it's phrased, you know, in the gospel, in the Greek, actually, it says, amen, amen. In the gospel of John, you, you read a lot of that, right? And in the English, it's translated, verily, verily. Truthfully, truthfully, truly, truly. Only in the modern translations now, we might be thinking, Ayah, why say things two times? And so in the more modern versions, we have most assuredly. Cannot even assure you a little bit. Must be the most assuredly. It's a matter of phrasing it emphatically. That's all it is. In the way that language is used. So if you want a singlish equivalent, it's called a double confirm. When you say, yes, yes, no, no, this is it. You double confirm it. You are very, very assured or you're assuring that person that's how serious you are. And once you do that, there is no longer any other need to qualify this yes 
or there's no, or there's no need to justify. Because to do that, to say more, is actually to suggest that actually we cannot be taken at our word except under oath. This is what it suggests. So if you say something, then you mean that something. You don't have to try to assure anymore because those words are good. Sometimes in our own phrasing also. Have you used this before? To be honest, huh? honestly speaking, which means the statement before was not honest. Lah. But now, honestly, I'm speaking. So if I don't use honestly speaking, you can't trust me. I know we all do that, right? But is it also not true that often, the more we say, the more likely we are tempted to embellish, to make it sound even better, to make it sound even more convincing. And before you know it, we exaggerate. We stretch the truth. We say too much. And from what was previously accurate, we have added in things that could even tantamount to lying because it may not have been like that. And I want you to be careful, and I have to be careful myself too. Because today in social media, it's so easy to want to look good and want to sound good. And I was laughing to myself that whenever you read any reports of ministry, whether it's a meeting like ours, or a camp, or a retreat, or an awakening event, do you realize that when we report, it's always, oh, praise God for His awesome presence. There was so many things that happened. Huh? Oh, you're so good, and it was so that. I'm not saying that it wasn't a good experience, but we tend to add in a lot of words in there to make it sound more awesome than it was. And we are guilty of doing that. And we exaggerate and we tend to think that the more we say, it will sound actually better. And Jesus says, you be careful, okay? Because whatever is more than this, the translation can read, is either of the evil one or it is of evil. It does not necessarily mean that Satan is involved. It can also mean that the evil intent of our hearts can be drawn out. And we start to say things that we actually don't mean. And we're actually trying to impress other people. Jesus is reminding us that within the kingdom community, remember he was talking to disciples, he was addressing kingdom people. Oaths are not necessary within the kingdom community. Extend it a little bit more. Oaths are not necessary between brothers and sisters in Christ. Because our words must be true. Our words must be accurate. We will say what we need to say and we should stop after that. We don't have to add additional things or to embellish it at all. John the Baptist belonged to a group called the Essenes and this group was quite a radical group. And they were known for not taking oaths at all, even in the time of Jesus. No taking of oaths. They, they dispensed the taking of oaths. The only one oath that they would take is the initiation oath. That if you would join this group, you would have to pledge and promise to live by that standard and they would take that oath to join that sect. But beyond that, there's no further need. Their word would be good. Josephus, the Jewish historian, records that one could actually trust an Essene's word more than an oath. 
Now this is very telling. Perhaps now we understand why Jesus was trying to expose the hypocrisy of those days. Where you can take all your oaths, but actually you don't really mean it because they are, you take it an oath that is not binding, is no oath at all. But an Essene, if you're talking to an Essene, his word would be good. I think that's something for us to ponder and for us to consider also. So if oaths are not necessary, then why is it in the law in the first place, right? Sometimes you have to ask this question, right? First you put it in the law, then after when Jesus comes, you say, don't do it, you know, and um, if you want to do it, do it properly, otherwise don't do it. So should it be in or should it be out? I think it's good for us if we are learning something from the scriptures, let's get to the basis of that. What is the place of oaths in the law? Because Jesus says, don't swear at all. And so if you want to be really extreme, just cancel out. Don't, don't ever swear at all. I think the first point is, let's understand the intent and the spirit of the law. Always understand that God intends for the law to help the people. It was never to make men good. You already know this, right? It always shows up our sin more than try to make us good. It can't do that. But the law in part was, get this point, huh? was to accommodate men's evil and wickedness. Sounds weird, right? Because God knows the hardness of men's heart. We've gone through that. We've learned about adultery. We've learned about divorce. If you don't have it, that is even worse. So the law was in part to accommodate men's weakness and our wickedness and our evil. Because if given our own way, this is what we will do. We will cheat one another. We will disappoint one another. We will have broken promises and we will have empty words. And God knows that. So He says, in my community, I tell you what, you guys take oaths and I'll show you how serious it is. I'll be the witness. I'll be the guarantor. You swear by my name and I'll be that one to ensure that you live right with one another. You see this? And isn't it wonderful? The grace of God that comes through the law. Because if you don't have that, then it's going to be mayhem. It's going to be crazy. Already with that, they try to abuse the system. And I look at this and it's like, wow, I mean, God, you're cool. <laughs> I mean, you know us, true and true, right? And so God puts oaths in there to cater for the wickedness of men. It says in Hebrews chapter 6, verse 16, for men indeed swear by the greater, and an oath for confirmation is for them an end of all disputes. You see this? Before the oath, is like, are you sure or not? You promise not? How can I trust your promise? Huh? You did this to me. Are, are you sure? Are you sure? It's always, are you sure? Agree or not? You, you will never end. But the moment two parties say, okay, let's make an oath, it settles it. So that's the first thing we see. Now if Jesus says, don't swear at all, then how do we understand this? You know, if oaths are not even supposed to be there in the first place, God Himself makes an oath. He does this for Abraham's sake. You see this? God makes an oath for man's sake. Because man will question, and many times we will even question God. I mean, we don't trust one another, that's one thing. We don't even trust God. Come on, be honest. Have you not asked God? Are you sure? Will you do this? Real or bluff? Can you say one more time? Double confirm? Triple? Please? Right? Over and over again. So in Hebrews, it's recorded. God deals with fallen humanity with an oath. It records for us, God has already made a promise. He says, 
this is what I'm going to do for you, Abraham. Now, God is not a man that he should lie, right? His word will be good. But man can't understand that. So for the sake of fallen humanity, he makes an oath. So he says, this is my promise. And I tell you what, I'm going to take an oath. Now there's no one else I can swear by because God is the highest authority. So he says, I swear by myself, Lord. So he swears by his own name for Abraham's sake. How gracious is our God? I mean, just think about this. Does it blow your mind? As I'm preparing this again, I say, God, you stoop down to our level so that we can trust you and we can learn that you are always faithful, even without an oath. You don't even need an oath, but you do it for the sake of man. Now, he does not only do it for Abraham, because it records in verse 17, thus God, Hebrews chapter 6, verse 17, thus God, determining to show more abundantly to the heirs of promise. Note that phrase. He was trying to show more abundantly to the heirs of promise the immutability of his counsel, the unchangingness of his mind, confirmed it by an oath. And so now it's not only one oath, it's not only a promise, it's by two immutable things. This promise is so sure. But who is it made for? Firstly, it's to Abraham. Secondly, it's to the heirs of the promise. Do you know who the heirs of the promise are? We are the heirs of the promise. Is God good or is God good? Amen? Isn't it wonderful? You know, and that's why we understand oaths. And God Himself took an oath for the sake of fallen humanity. Jesus Himself, in Matthew chapter 26, He was made to take an oath. And again, you see, it's for the sake of sinful men. Jesus was on trial. In verse 63 of Matthew chapter 26, He was provoked. They were hurling things at Him, asking Him questions. And Jesus kept silent. I think even that in that one sentence, there's a lot for us to learn. Jesus kept silent. He knew exactly who He was. He knew exactly where He stood. But He kept silent. And then the high priest cannot take it already. The high priest answered and said to him, I put you under oath by the living God. Tell us if you are the Christ, the Son of God. Now, did Jesus know the law or did he know the law? Of course he knew the law, right? So the moment the high priest said, I put you under oath, tell me, swear by God's name, answer this truthfully. Are you the Christ? Are you the Son of God? Jesus answered, it is as you said. He says, yes, I'm telling you the truth. I am the Son of God. I am the Christ. The craziest thing is, he takes an oath, he declares it truthfully, and still the people did not believe him. And based on that one word, his truthful word, they shouted at him, blasphemy. They tore their clothes, and then they sent him off to be crucified. Why did Jesus take that oath? It was not just to fulfill the commandment. Jesus had to do it for the sake of sinful men, for them to believe him. And here comes the irony, as I've already shared. Even then, they did not believe him. In the New Testament, Paul, on many occasions, called upon God 
as his witness. Now this is New Testament now. If taking of oaths were to be thrown away entirely, then Paul was not being faithful to Jesus' teaching, right? So we shouldn't read this legalistically and just say we're not allowed to take oaths anymore. We should not swear by God's name anymore. That's not the case. Paul in many instances says, you know, God is my witness. In Galatians, he says, I write to you before God, I do not lie. You know, he calls upon God. He says, this is my apostolic ministry. You know, I'm telling you, this is from the Lord. One thing we must remember about Paul is he wrote the scriptures under the inspiration of the Holy Spirit. And so I believe he was led to make those declarations. He invoked the name of God to support his ministry. And once again, he takes it for the sake of fallen humanity because as the people were listening to him, he said, are you sure? You know, can we believe you? And then he says, you know, I am authorized by God. All right, so let's understand that oaths by itself, they're not bad. There's nothing wrong with oaths. God commanded it. It's okay. The issue is truthfulness. It is not the restriction of oaths. So don't, don't look at it uh, to an extreme and say, you know, I'll never ever take an oath anymore. Remember that if you should take an oath, that it is serious, that it is solemn. It is not something for us just to use flippantly or lightly um, to justify anything and everything. Down through church history, you will find a group called the Quakers. And it's recorded that they viewed this instruction by Jesus so strictly that they would never take an oath at all. Even if they would be invited into the civil courts, they will not place their hand on the Bible to say that I will tell the truth or to swear by God's name or by the Bible, which is an authority as they recognize. I don't think Jesus was referring to that. No? I think there's a place for oaths and the right place. There's nothing wrong with taking oaths. So let's ask ourselves now, what does it mean for us as Christians? There are just so many ways to apply this and I hope to just share a few applications of this principle. Hopefully that would help us process, you know, should you be in a certain situation that you will know how to apply this. What does it mean to be a, a yay, yay, nay, nay Christian? Okay, how do we apply this into our lives? Let's look at the very first general principle. A Christian's integrity, credibility, and trustworthiness. Can we vouch for that? Can we be examples of such a Christian, of such people, like the Essenes? And we have to remember this. We carry the name of our Lord. We are named after our Lord, amen? We bear His name. And that means that whatever we say, whatever we do, we do it in His name. Now, whether you intend to or not, do you realize you have no choice. You cannot one day say, I'm doing this on my own accord, and the next day, I'm doing it in Jesus' name. You can try to split hair. You can try to be as, as accurate as you want in this categorization. But when the world looks at us, we are Christians. Yes or no? We can't run away from this. As Christians, this is what it means. We have been redeemed by the blood of Jesus. We have been born of the Holy Spirit. We are not of the old order, of the old creation anymore, but we are now of the new creation. 
This means that the law of God, all that we are going through right now, this is written in our hearts. I hope you are, you're convinced by now, right? That there's still a law. Okay, please don't keep telling yourself, I'm no longer under the law. Sorry, the law is now in your heart. And the Holy Spirit is bringing that to you. You're led by the Spirit who guides you into all truth. Now, if He's the one that leads you into all truth, then every word that you say has to be true. Every promise that you make must be true. Everything that you do must be according to the truth. Is that amen? Our words must be as such. It has to be good and true. There should be no need for additional statements to make our words gooder or truer. We don't have to do that at all. And what we say we mean, what we mean we should try to say, right? I think we struggle with that because sometimes we all use the same word but we all mean different things. There should be no double meanings. There should not be hidden meanings. There should not be even any need to read between the lines. So if I talk to you, please don't second guess me. Sometimes we, we, we get caught in all these things because I could just be saying something to you plainly and simply and that's how I should do, be doing that. And how you should be processing it also should be plainly and simply. If it's a yes, it's a yes. If it's a no, it's a no. We, we shouldn't have to second guess one another. And primarily we should be practicing that behavior or that trait with one another in the church. How well do you think we're doing? If you, if you want to give a grading from 1 to 10, I don't think we're doing very well. Okay, so we can all improve, amen? Uh, we can ask the Holy Spirit uh, um, to, to help us and maybe we should start, you know, give the person the benefit of a doubt. Okay, don't, don't go and guess. You can't control what the other person is saying or intending, but will we give the benefit of a doubt? I say this often. You can cheat me or samobi once. La. Second time maybe. La. Third time I, must, I, I get smart. La. All right, so we are not meant to be gullible, right? We are to be wise, but we are to be gentle as doves. Okay? So it does not mean that when we take people at their word, means we be foolish, we be stupid, let people step on us. Jesus does say that we should be wise also. Okay? So don't, don't mix the concepts and confuse yourself. Now with the world, we should be practicing exactly the same thing. So that when someone deals with us in the world, it should be the same. They, they should look at you and say, you're a Christian, right? So this is what you say. Your yes is a yes, and your no is a no. Colossians tells us not to lie with one another anymore. We must be always speaking the truth. And I think the more we practice it, the better we'll become as the Holy Spirit will help and guide us. The second way we can apply this is, I want to talk about marital vows. Now, you may think, oh, this is only for the married people. Well, yeah, I suppose so. But I'm staying in context. Remember, Jesus before this was teaching about adultery and divorce. Yeah, the issue was about lust. But suddenly he now talks about let your yes be yes and your no be no. He talks about oaths, solemn vows. Can you imagine with me? What if Christians took their marriage vows seriously? Do you think we'll have less of a divorce rate in the church? Correct? I mean, I was one of those naughty guys, I was backslidden and I came back into the church for the purpose of getting married. God had other plans for me. So he saw, in inverted commas, he sabot me the other way around. 
by His grace. Praise the Lord. I'm so thankful He did that. But many Christians will want to just come into church just to get married. True? What if they were taught oaths and vows? That if you are not prepared to live by God's standard and in God's ways, then don't get married in the church. It's better you just go to a civil court and do that in a registrar of marriages. Get a justice of peace to conduct your wedding. But even so, you still take an oath. Right? They are meant to administer that for you. And so I think wedding vows are important. They are oaths. They are solemn vows. We are made, they are made in the presence of God with family, with friends as witnesses. Maybe we should change the wording a little bit, right? As a minister or a solemnizer, and I ask, do you take such and so and so as your lawfully wedded wife you know, to have and to hold and this, 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 and that, that, that. Maybe the, the groom or the bride would have to say, not I will, but I will, I will. Yeah, yeah. Yes? Uh, maybe they should be made to say it twice. If not enough, maybe say it three times. Then they understand how serious this is. Marital vows. If we can start with that, I think the church would get to a better place. But don't stop there. Extend this into the marriage after that. Will you keep promises with one another? Extend it into the family. Will you tell the truth? Or do you have little secrets that you're hiding from one another? Children hide from parents, parents hide from children, husband from wife, wife from husband. And within the Christian family unit, we're already not having a yeah, yeah and a nay, nay already. And we have big problems because of that. Don't you think a good application of this uh, principle would be a good place to start in the marriage and in the home? The third thing is understanding contracts and agreements, whether in business or in employment or in ministry. Imagine if you were a boss or an employer and you had a choice. Would you rather hire a Christian or a non-Christian? Think about that. I wish the answer would be more straightforward. Right? But it's not necessarily in favor of a Christian. Am I correct? Sometimes we work with Christians. Uh, more challenges. If you were an employee, someone working in the workforce, do you prefer to work with a Christian or a non-Christian? I think that's a very good question for us to think. Now you've got to turn it to yourself. Would people rather work with you or with a non-Christian? Should they hire you or should they hire a non-Christian? See, when we come into a contract or we make an agreement in any place, would we consider that as a promise? I agree to do this. I sign. This is what it is. And in business or in any uh, framework, it's good to put things down so that we have terms, we have parameters, so that we know that the scope of work becomes clearer. But beyond that, would the Christian display responsibility, trustworthiness, integrity, everything that we spoke about? Should we not excel in these areas? Yes or no? We should. The question is, do we? How do we perform in all these areas? But unfortunately, I think we fail many, many times. And sometimes when we work with Christians or even in the cause of ministry, we have to be even clearer in what is expected. Otherwise, we upset one another, we offend each other, we step on each other's toes, you know, and then we change church. And we never want to see each other anymore. Do our words count? If you are a boss, if you are a manufacturer, what goes into your product? What goes into your service? Is it always really value for money or do you shortchange people? Do you overpromise as a salesperson? 
always trying to sell the next miracle thing, and then you end up, you under-deliver, and you, are, you disappear, nobody can find you anymore. Change job already. How about payment terms? Nowadays, huh, the biggest problem is cash flow, right? So when you say, I promise to pay in 30 days, do you? Or do you drag that payment? Because that's the business way of doing things, the world's way of doing things. How about your punctuality? See, all these things, you don't have to... Can you imagine if I were to ask all of you to take an oath that you will be here next week at 7.30? Don't eat one, right? Don't eat, right? I'm not saying that you didn't rush from work. That's not my point, right? Huh? My point simply means if we say a certain thing, will we mean that and do our level best to come and meet that requirement? Number four, let us be careful of careless pledges, rash vows and empty promises to God. I have addressed that relationship with one another. But in our vows to God, we must be very careful. Do you know in Ecclesiastes chapter 5, verses 1 to 7, you know, go back and read it. But I'm reminded again of these important words. It says, Walk prudently when you go to the house of God and draw near to hear rather than to give the sacrifice of fools. You know what's the sacrifice of fools? People who talk too much. Verse 2, God is in heaven, you are on earth. Let your words be few. And I'm trying to remind myself, got something to say, say. Nothing to say, then don't say. Don't have to always say. Okay, it's all right. And I think in Proverbs, it records, huh? even a fool, when you keep quiet, huh, appears wise. You want to look wise, huh? don't say anything. Okay, listen to verse 4. When you make a vow to God, do not delay to pay it. For he has no pleasure in fools. Pay what you have vowed. Better not to vow than to vow and not pay. And at the last part in verse 7, it says, but fear God. What am I saying here? What promises have we made to God? Can you remember any? Maybe we, we make so many we forget. How many have we kept? And sometimes it's a very spur of the moment thing, right? Where we want to respond and there's a conviction or maybe it gets all emotional and then we go and love altar calls. Let's come up and everyone prays. Who wants to give their life to Jesus, you know? All come up. Do you know all those are pledges? Agreements they were making in the presence of God. And then after that, go home. Can you remember or not? Or nothing. No wonder we need covenant renewal over and over again. Keep renewing. One year later, we renew one more time. Renew one more time because we keep breaking it. We keep saying things that we do not mean. So it's better to, to vow, to say, yes, Lord, I'll do it, and do it, than say something and not mean it at all. Then it becomes so flippant. And I think we have to be careful because in today's emotional type of worship and platforms, it's very easy to make all these promises. And then we go back and we don't do it and we just say, oh, it's God's grace. La. He understands. La. You know, no problem. Do you think God is serious? I think God is serious. I know God gives us chance upon chance upon chance, but I believe He's serious. And so, I think maybe we should practice that more <laughs> to be a little bit more careful. right? And related to that, the fifth point is, really, Come back down to the third commandment. Do not use God's name in vain. Now, I may step on toes, but can I say that if I should be stepping on your toe or offending you, I've already stepped on my own and offended myself and upset myself too. 
Okay, because I'm, I'm checking myself on this one as I was preparing also this message. How do we use God's name in vain today? Oh, God told me this. God showed me this. Oh, the Holy Spirit whispered into my heart. Now, this is very common today in charismatic Pentecostal language. There's so many people who use it this way, and I think we get caught up also in the way that we speak. Do you know that as many people who have said, God told me, or God showed me, or God led me, a lot of these prophetic words don't come to pass. They just don't tell you. Or many people have said, God led me, but after that, the person does nothing about it. So did God lead or did God not lead? Can you see how dangerous this is? And I know I've prayed with many people before, and they, they go, God led me to, to this job. Three months later, they're complaining about this job like crazy. And after that, they go to another job and they say, wow, thank God He opened the other door for me. And so God leads me there. Now, I can't tell you whether God led or did not lead. I'm just saying, perhaps we have been using God's name a little bit too lightly and flippantly. Have we been justifying ourselves? And I'm checking myself too. Now, don't get the wrong message. Huh? I'm not saying God did not say to you. It can be as subjective and we can disagree and that's fine. But if you say God said something to you, do you really have to say that? Or can't you just do it? Or are we just saying God said it so I sound more spiritual than you? That it gives my word more weight and more credibility? That it makes me sound better and look more impressive, more anointed? Possible? Very possible. And today this kind of language is all over the place. If God has really spoken, how come so few are on assignment? If God has really showed and led, how come we are not moving where we should be moving? I think we have to ask ourselves these questions. Because today in charismatic tone, we sound very spiritual, but we go nowhere. And this is dangerous. So I share just these five points with you. I'm sure there are more examples, maybe more questions that I may or may not be able to answer. But I hope that this at least gives you an idea how critical it is for our yea to be yea and our nay to be nay. And not to, to pull God's name into everything because this is the way people speak nowadays. So let's close. And I know that for many of us, we may never be called to a place to put our hands on the Bible and to swear to tell the truth, the whole truth, and, and nothing but the truth. But then again, we should not have to do that because whatever we promise, we are to deliver. And whatever we say is always to be the truth. And let us remember this. Maybe we don't talk about this often enough, that God is everywhere. God is present. He hears everything we say. He knows everything. Whether you want to use His name or not, doesn't matter. He already knows, right? He is the witness to everything. We bear His name and we represent Him. You know, after going through this lesson and preparing this, I'm telling myself, I said, ah, Lord, when people deal with me, I, I hope lah, that they will be able to say, no problem, lah, he's a Christian, he's good. His word can be trusted. If Hansen says it, that's cool. I know I'm not there yet. 
I need the Holy Spirit. I need Him to guide me. And I need Him to help me. I definitely don't want people to look at me and say, Ayo, he's a Christian, you know. You know, and then doubt the name of Christ that we carry. And I hope that's your prayer also. And as we close, tonight's topic is not quite as complicated to teach as the last two, right? About adultery and divorce and uh, maybe also not as exciting, huh? no lust and no sexual implications. But this does not mean that this topic or this issue is any easier to live out. Yes, amen? It's not any easier. In fact, some of us will have a lot of struggle in this. Not all would physically commit adultery or go through divorce. But I believe every one of us here will struggle with telling the truth or at least meaning what we say and saying what we mean. And so as we close as kingdom people and kingdom ambassadors, let's ask the Holy Spirit to enable us to represent our King adequately and truthfully. Let's pray together. Lord, thank you, Lord, for teaching us what truth is all about. You are the way, the truth, and the life. Your Holy Spirit is a spirit that guides us into all truth. Thank you for showing us a deeper meaning of what it means to take an oath or what it means when oaths are not necessary within the community of the King. Lord, we acknowledge maybe we have been hurt, we have been deceived, we have been played out. And because of that, we don't trust another person. Maybe we have been let down or disappointed or discouraged by another brother or sister in Christ. Maybe it's a leader or an elder where he or she might have said one thing but acted in another way. Lord, before we judge them, before we throw anything at them, Lord, we acknowledge all of us, we would have faulted in one way or another. And so, Lord, they too also struggle in the same way. So, Lord, we pray, we release these, Lord, even as we will ask you to help us to trust more and also for us to speak the truth so that as a community in the church, within the church, we can grow into this aspect of truth. And so we bless you and we thank you, Lord. Help us in our speech and help us, Lord, in the way we live that will always bring glory and honor to you. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen. Amen.